Kiddushin Daf Nun Ethics and Storytelling. I need We continue being in, the, being in the midst of these difficult times, and may our learning each morning be go to the schus of the soldiers who are defending us, putting their lives at risk and in danger, aren't able to be here with, with us. The luxury of being able to learn quietly. May our learning of Torah be a schus for them and protect them in everything they do. So Chaim is a really exceptional student at Ponevish Yeshiva in Bnei Brak. He's a serious young man, a Talmud Chochem, from a very poor family. Sora is studying in Yerushalayim at Beis Yaakov, from a very, also a poor family in New York. And on the last day that she, of her period in Israel, she's in Israel just for a year, she is introduced to Chaim. She's a beautiful girl. She is charismatic, she is vivacious, she's bright and intelligent. And Chaim falls head over and heels in love with, with Sora. But Sora's going back to New York. So they engage in long distance relationship, they write to each other, and Chaim cannot get her out of his mind. And he's worried that she's back in New York, and, and she's a, from a poor family, he's from a poor family, they can't travel backwards and forwards, and besides, he's busy learning. And he's very worried she'll meet somebody there, and he, she, he just can't get this out of his mind. So he asks his Rebbe in Yeshiva, and his Rebbe says, you know what, you've been corresponding for a long time already. Your Chavrusa is going to New York for a family simcha. Ask him to be Mekadesh Sora Bishlichus. Marry her. And, and when, you, when she can come to Israel, you'll, you'll do the rest of the marriage and, you'll, and, and everything will be good. So he asks his Chavrusa, lifelong friend from a very wealthy family, is going to New York for a for a chasna, and he asks uh, Yitzchok to go and be Mekadesh Sora on his behalf. An unusual thing to do, but they check up, that's something that can be done. So off Yitzchok goes to New York. He calls up Sora, they arrange to meet, and oh my goodness, Yitzchok meets Sora, and he just can't believe this girl. And he decides, well, I don't have to tell her right now about this, why I'm here. Uh, well, let, let's have dinner together. And he begins to whine and dine this poor girl, Sora, who's never had a life like that before. She goes to the finest kosher restaurants in New York. She has the most wonderful time with him. He is charismatic. He is bright. They get on so well together. Eventually, he tells her, look, this is the deal. I've actually come on behalf of my Chavrusa, Chaim back in Bnei Brak, but you two hardly know each other. And it's a, it's a risk. I'm going to marry you. Now you're going to be a married woman to somebody you hardly know. You've been writing letters to each other. Maybe we should rather get together. She's completely taken with the guy, and she agrees. She asks her father. Her father asks his Rebbe. The Rebbe says, he says, the two, two men are both proposing to my daughter. Both Talmidei Chachomim, both very fine men. One is rich and one is poor. So the Rebbe says, so why get involved with a poor one if your daughter can live a comfortable life? Why would you want to get in if everything else is equal? Let him marry the rich one. So they get married. Chaim is devastated. And he goes to his Rosh Hashiva, he goes to a Pesach, and he says, what do I do? The Pesach says, I'm sorry to tell you that Meshe Asa Asui. What has been done has been done. There's nothing we can do about it. She is married to Yitzchak Yochavrusen. But you should know that Yochavrus is a, a cheat. Yochavrus is dishonest and deceitful. You should know that. That's the story of the opening Mishnah of the third parak of Kiddushim. And then the Gemara goes on and tells us more. We see here, we see here that there are two dimensions in Psach Halacha. There's the technical Halacha and there's ethics. 
So you've got a situation of technically this is, this is fine. The, the sheliach is entitled to change his mind and decide to act on his own behalf and not on behalf of the person who sent him and to engage in the, in the marriage himself. He's allowed to do that. It's a valid marriage, but you're a, th- you're a thief. You're a, you're a dishonest person. And we need to use Musa as one of the means of, of interpreting and contextualizing halacha. Otherwise, you land up doing things which are technically right, but ethically wrong. And that can't be the Ritzon Hashem. So the Ritzon Hashem is not determined only by technical halacha. It's also determined by the context of halacha in an ethical perspective. And we have that example we have often spoken about where Hashem says to, to Moshe, Nekom, Nikmat, Adam Yisrael, go, go and avenge the blood of Yisrael from the Midianites. And, and Moshe sends Pinchas to do it. Chazal ask, and then they answer because uh, he feels a debt of, of gratitude to the Midianites because of, because of Yisrael. But Hashem told him, the halacha is you've got to go and kill the Midianites. What are you making reasoning? You have a feeling of gratitude. Where do the emotions come in? No, explained to Hashem, it's a Moshe understood from earlier cases that where the, the ethics of it challenge the technical aspect, you've got to interpret the technical aspect very carefully. So what Hashem is saying to Moshe, Moshe realized, isn't that you must go and do it yourself? You must have it done. Uh, but you don't have to do it yourself because that wouldn't be right for you to do it yourself. Anyway, that's just another example of where we, we put the technical halakha into an ethical context in order to interpret it. The Gemara goes on on Nuntetam with Aleph with another case of, of ethics and, and business. The case of Rav Gidl was Ma'apech Baha'i Aro. Rav Gidl was negotiating over a piece of property. Azal Rabbi Abba Zavna, while he's busy negotiating, Rabbi Abba steps in and buys the property. Also, Rav Gidl kabled Rabbi Zera. Rav Gidl's very upset and goes to Rabbi Zera to tell him the story. Also, Rabbi Zera kabled Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha. Rabbi Zera went to Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha, who is the Rebbe of Rabbi Abba. And he tells Rabbi Yitzchak Nafcha, Omele, hamten ad shiale etzlenu l'regel. He says, give me a bit of time. Yom Tov is coming. And I know that Rabbi Abba will come and, and visit me over Yom Tov. He'll come to hear the shir and he'll also come and visit me and I'll have a chance to speak to him. Ki Salik, when he came up to, to visit, Ashkeche, uh, Rabbi Yitzhak Nafcha finds Rabbi Abba, Omale, and he says the following, Rabbi Abba, there's a case of a poor man who finds a loaf of bread and he's busy engaging in picking up the loaf of bread and another man comes and snatches it away from him just before he's stretching out his hand to get the bread. It's quite clear that that's what he's after. It's in the street and somebody else comes and snatches it away from him. What is the, what is the din? My, so says Rabbi Abba, that's, that would be a wicked thing to do. So says Rabbi Yitzchak Nafka, so why did you do that? He said, I, I had no idea that Rav Gidl was negotiating this property. I didn't know that. So in that case, says Rabbi Yitzchak Nafka, go and give it back to him. Even though halachically what you did is, you didn't know that somebody else was negotiating, the sale is valid, but it's not a good thing for somebody of your stature to be involved in a deal like that. Go and give it back to him. We, we learned this Gemara, by the way, back in Daf, Daf Zayin, the Matmonim on Daf Zayin, we referenced this Gemara and, and we learned an aspect of it. So I don't want to sell it because it's not, there's an iron horror to sell the first property you ever buy in your life. That's not a good thing to do. But I'm happy to give it as a gift. 
to Rav Gidl. I feel so bad, I'm happy to give it as a gift to Rav Gidl. Rav Gidl, and that was the subject of the Madmoni Madav Zayin. Rav Gidl wouldn't take it back because he doesn't want gifts. He doesn't live on handouts. He likes to earn what he's got. Rabbi Abba lo nachit leimishum davik bo Rav Gidl. Rav Abba wouldn't go into the field because Rav Gidl was negotiating for it. Lo ma nachit lo velo ma nachit lo mitker arud rabbanon. Neither of them went into the property. The property land lay dormant, and the Talmidei Chachomim used it to fund the kolo uh, because they they wouldn't actually go into it. That's the, that's the story. On the halachic side, the Ramos says in Simon Reishlamet Zayin. A very important Ramor. This is only if the price has been settled. If two people are negotiating and the price has not yet been agreed and you want to come in and offer a better price, you're free to do that. Otherwise, there wouldn't be a market. It's just once a price has been agreed, but the deal hasn't been consummated with a Kenyan, then you can't step in and, and try and undo the deal and, and do a better deal. That's the Ramor. Tosfus is very important, our Tosfus on the spot, that talks about the difference between this and various other cases and tackles Rashi. Uh, Rashi says this is talking about picking up a loaf of bread from Hefker. Tosfus says it's, uh, that doesn't really make sense. It's Mipneshu Yoreid Umanuto. It's when you interfere with somebody else's business. That's not about picking up something out of Hefker. It's when you undermine another person's business opportunity. And then he brings Rabbeinu Meir. This is an unusual case of Rabbeinu Meir, who's the son-in-law of Rashi, who's the father of Rabbeinu Tam. This is talk about fishermen, and a fisherman has put bait in a, in a net, and now all the fish are coming around his net because of the bait, and now another fisherman comes and wants to take advantage of all these fish around the net, and he says, go and fish somewhere else. You don't have to fish in my backyard. And the idea with Panosa is you don't have to get Panosa in one place. If, if the Panosa that you're trying to get here is encroaching on the territory of somebody else, go and get your Panosa elsewhere. That's what that's talking about, says Rabbeinu Mei. And Tosfus then quotes his Rebbe. We don't know exactly who the Tosfus on Kiddushin is, but we know it's a Talmud of Rabbeinu Yitzchok Meivro who was a Baal Tosfus from the 13th century in Normandy in northern France. And here he quotes his Rebbe, Rabbeinu Yitzchok Meivra, If a place has a rov, or a home has a teacher, you can't go and, and, and try and get the job, take the job away from him, to, from the person who's already there. Since there's already somebody there, you go and find another job. This is not the only job available in the world. Unless the balabayit has said, I'm not keeping this malamed, we're not satisfied with him, we're looking for somebody else. Then you can apply for the job. But if you haven't had that indication from the balabayit, you can't apply for the job. But if I hire one teacher for my child, and you want the teacher for your child, you can offer... The teacher, I've hired a better, a better wage, that you can do. But a rov in a shul, uh, it always used to be an issue in the, in the Rabonis. And another shul's got more money available, offers the rov a higher salary, the rov moves. Is that, well, yes, you can do that. Otherwise, nobody can improve their situation in, in life. 
עצמו, ואין לי יכול לומר לו, בעל הבית, לך זכור ומלמד אחר, you can't say to again, get yourself another rabbi. תנאים אלה אין רצוני, אלא לזה שהריקים, ידעו מלי שזה ילמד בני יפה מלמד, I want to learn Torah from this person. I want my son to learn Torah from this person. There is nobody like him. It's not as if the rabbis are commodities, and if you don't take this one, you can take another one. Each one has a style, each one has approach. This is the one that's suitable, and, and there isn't another one, and therefore... therefore one's free to do so. That's the halacha and the, and, and the ethics of it. But I want to touch on, on something else that's rather interesting, and that is, you'll notice the way I introduced the, the shir with the story of Chaim and Yitzchak and Rivka. Now, of course, in the Mishnah, they didn't talk about Chaim and Yitzchak and Rivka, and they didn't talk about Ponovish Yeshiva and New York and so on. But that is the case. That is the case the mission is talking about. Mekudeshet, Lesheni, the second one, she, he's Mekudeshet. She, she is Mekudeshet to, to the second one. What I want to look at is, is both in the style of the mission, of all the Mishnayas, but also in the way that Rav Yitzchak Nafka approaches Rabbi Abba. What does he do? He doesn't challenge him directly. He tells him a story. It's a, he makes up a story. And he creates a scenario. And then he says, what do you think the case should be? Where does he get that idea from? He gets that from Nosan Anovi in Shmuel Beis. When Nosan comes to challenge Dovid HaMelech, and Nosan gives a whole story, and he says, There was a rich man and a poor man in a city. The rich man had lots of, of animals and flock. And the poor man only had one little lamb. And he take, took care of the lamb, and he raised the lamb, and he grew the lamb. And that's what the, the lamb used to sit at his, at his house and eat his food, and that was, uh, and it was his pet as well. And the rich man wanted to shecht an animal. He didn't want to go to the trouble of going to the butcher. He found this, this little sheep, and he shechted the sheep. What do you think of such a man? And David Amalek says, it's a rush, a terrible thing. This is, this is unacceptable. And Nosson says, that's you. That's what you've just done with Batsheva and with Uriah. Why does Nosson go through the whole thing? Why doesn't Nosson just pull out a Shulchan Aruch and say, hey, Reb David, you've been over. There's, there's a Shulchan Aruch, there's Simon, such and such, Steve, such and such. You've been over. Why doesn't Rav Yitzchak Nafka call up Rabbi Abba and just say, this is not, have you not learned the Mishnah and Tafnu and Beis in Kiddushin? This is a, a Maiserishus. This is not a good thing to do. Why the story? And if you look at the Mishnahis, they're all stories. I embellish the story a little bit, but the Mishnah it doesn't say that a shaliach is allowed to disobey his, his instruction and act on his own account. The Mishnah tells a story. Imagine a case where somebody said to his friend, and when you read a Mishnah, you need to embellish the story. You need to talk out the narrative because the Mishnahis are stories. They're case studies. And the Gemaras as well and the Midrashim as well. Why the power of the, of the story? You're aware that a lot of research has, has been done now. There's a, a man by the name of, of Antonio Damasio. He is a professor of neuroscience at USC in California who's done amazing work on decision-making. Grant, this is your, your whole field. On decision-making and emotions. And he discovered that people who have lost their emotions for various reasons, neurological reasons, experiential reasons, they, are, they don't have emotions, are unable to make simple decisions. Even just simple decisions, should I go left, should I go right, they can't function. They're unable to make decisions. And he develops his whole thesis from there that decision-making is driven by emotions, not by reason. 
The reason is how you rationalize your decision, but your decision is made subconsciously on an emotional level long before you're even aware of it. Are you going to buy or you're not going to buy? You're going to do this or you're not going to do this. It comes from an intuitive place and in the emotional seat of your mind and, and nowhere else. And therefore, data doesn't change people's mind. You don't change people's mind and you don't convince people with data. You convince people with an emotion and storytelling arouses the emotions. So they've done the research that data ignites two little places in your brain. Storytelling ignites the entire brain. When you're listening to a story, your whole brain is active. When you're, when you're receiving data, two little parts of your brain are, are active and that's, and that's all that's active. And that when you're being told a story, you have what they call neurocoupling. You actually join together with the storyteller. You become one. There's empathy between you and the storyteller and there's high levels of trust with the storyteller. And it's now you and the storyteller looking at a situation. It's not the storyteller and you challenging each other with data. It's you and the storyteller together viewing something that, that's happening. And we're seeing about what's happening at the moment in the world today. It's so harrowing because we're seeing it. It's not just data. If we just read some data, X number of people were killed, X number of people were kidnapped, it would be terrible. But it's not the same as seeing it played over and over again on on, on TV, if you think of 9-11 and those images of those planes flying into those buildings, we don't get them out of our mind. That's storytelling. When, when, you, when you actually are able to live the story and to feel the story, it's a completely different experience. And that's why we all feel tired and exhausted because we're living it with, at, at the moment. We're living what's happening. We're not just reading reports. We're living what's happening. And we've got to use storytelling much more effectively. Of course, in, in our businesses, in our dealing with people, we, we need to use storytelling. But in teaching and education as well, the whole move towards multiple choice questions as a method of examination means you're just checking data. You're not checking the person's ability to create a narrative, to tell a story, because it takes a lot of effort. There, Ilan, you're one of the people, the masters that I know of storytelling, an absolute master. Ilan can take any chazal, and, and can tell a story that you never, you'll never forget the chazal. You'll never forget it. Because the you're linking into the story. It's not a matter of reading something out of a sefer and a bit of data that you get, and the data goes in, the data goes out. It's the, the ability to translate data into a moving emotional story takes a lot of work. It's a lot of effort to take the data and say, so what's the story I'm going to tell? The story doesn't have to be a true factual story. It can be a fictional story. It doesn't matter as long as it's telling a true, a true idea. As long as it's communicating true ideas, that's what fiction is. Fiction is, is, are stories which are not necessarily true, but they're communicating true ideas. And in the way we educate our children, in the way we try and persuade members of our family, in the way we teach our Talmidim, uh, terribly important to develop the art of, of storytelling. And one can get better and better at it. There, there are books on it, there, there are courses on it. It's an incredibly important skill. And we see the Mishnah is entirely based on storytelling. And when we see how Rav Yitzhak Nafcha approaches Rabbi Abba based on the methodology of Nosan Anovi, that if you want to challenge somebody in a way that doesn't trigger them into defensive behavior, which won't bring about any behavioral change, the way to do it is to tell them a story, not to challenge them with data. Mm -hmm.